Groovaholics. Welcome to the Rochester Groovecast podcast. Birthed by a love of music, we're all about culture. Don't forget to subscribe and remember the fee. If you gain value from this podcast, personally share it with a friend and explain your favorite part. Let's get groovy. Groovy.
What is going on, Grooveholics? You just heard Heavier Summer by the Capitals. Sean Grief, singer, songwriter, guitar player from the Capitals, is my guest on the show today. Great conversation with Sean. You're going to love it. He's a very well-spoken guy, very intellectual guy, and him and I ultimately talked a little bit about everything. I mean, we've got about four or five podcasts planned just from conversations we started today on this episode. So there's a lot to hear. There's a lot to listen to. Uh, So yeah, man, let's just get going with me and Sean Grief. Everyone at home, I'd like to welcome you to the Rochester Groovecast podcast, your top source for live, local, regional music interviews and events from Rochester, New York, and the surrounding area. I am your host, Ben Albert, and I am here with Sean Grief. What's up, dude? I'm excited for this conversation tonight. Yeah, me too. Thanks a lot for having me. This is a, this is a really great thing you're doing, and I really appreciate the platform you got. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm happy to have you. You came at high recommendation from a, a couple people. Um, for those who don't know Sean, he is guitarist, uh, singer, and songwriter in the Capitals. Uh, but you know, you were back in the day. You were in Gonculator, right? And some other, <laughs> uh, some other projects that really gains uh, came, gained steam in the Rochester area. So yeah, the um, a few a few that didn't play more than one show and one that played a lot. And uh, yeah, Gonculator had a lot of miles and that we ended that in around, I want to say 2012 or 13. I can't quite, it's been so long. So, but yeah, that's awfully generous of you. Uh, High recommendation. I'd like to see source on that. uh, (laughs) We can get into that later though. Yeah. I, I, I think the the first time I saw Gonculator, you opened for Coed and Cambria or a band like that. Oh man. Well, I, I don't, we didn't open for Coheed, but we did open for Rufus Wainwright once. Mm. That that was wild because I, I lent him a camel light and we smoked it together and it was, it was a really great four minutes. He was a very nice man. That's cool. That's cool. I gotta think. I gotta. I could swear it was you guys, but maybe not. Yeah, maybe I don't not. know. That would have been sweet, though. I don't think. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't think that was us. <laughs> yeah, you, you were one of those bands that um, you were you were more popular, getting really uh popular and gaining steam when I was a lot younger. So I was like, How old are you? Um, I'm 29 right now. Oh, okay. So yeah. so when let's let's actually um. Let's do a short little history. So, yeah, sure. you know, uh, how long have you been here in Rochester? And, you know, what brought you here today that we're chatting during this coronavirus? Well, what was the history from then to now um, with Gonculator and the, the previous bands before the Capitals? Well, let's see. <clears throat> I, was, I was born here. I was raised here uh, from Greece Hilton area originally and went to Hilton High School, graduated 04. And our 
junior, my junior year is when I met, uh, well, I, I had known Jake Codeways for a long time. He was, he was a good buddy of mine. And uh, I came into the fold with Cam Griffith and Derek Stoll. So Gonculator started out as this, as this wacky four piece sort of um, this, this response to our, our, our fledgling adolescence and, and early adulthood and uh, what it meant to be very awkward and, and sort of nerdy, but totally into guitar music, you know, stuff that was not immediately accessible, but, but otherwise uh, one could form a relationship with it if, if they gave it time. And it was loud as hell. It was the loudest band I've ever been in. And it was mm. so good because every time we played, even, even before we got big amps and stuff like that, Cameron, Cam Griffith's drumming is just so powerful and so loud. And it just, it, it, it was like an instant endorphin initiator, you know? And that was what's so exciting about that band. And that band kept its energy all the way through the end. And we were together for about 10 years and uh, everybody went their separate ways for the most part. And uh, all the while, you know, we, we also did four years in Fredonia together and mm. how we got out of there alive. I have no idea. You know, as a band, we, as a band, you travel to Fredonia. Well, yeah, we, we all huh. went to college there. Yeah. So if there was ever a moment of like, holy shit, we could actually do this as a living. It, it generated itself there. You know, those were really, those were really good times. Those were really uh, fast times and, and uh, momentous for us because we had a huge following. Like I said, we got to open for Rufus Wainwright. Mm. Not everybody can say that shit. Yeah. And, that <laughs> we're a part of a very small group there and uh, especially given the uh the the cross-section of genre for that particular night i don't know how he got that gig but um yeah and so since then it's been a few projects here and there i was i played with omanito for a while and half the group uh moved to la and are now involved with gold koa which is an excellent project matt and kamara do that over there um, they'd be excellent guests to have on this podcast also. Awesome. Okay. Uh, awesome. Uh, with uh, Cami and Haro too. So they got a solid group there and now it's just, it's full-time COVID capitals, man. Yeah. You know, I saw those guys for the first time in over five months, a few weeks ago. You know what I mean? So we're, we're, it's all patchwork, baby. All patchwork, baby. Yep. And, and yeah, we're all rebuilding in COVID. Obviously, um, you guys in the Capitals have had great chemistry for a while. Multiple people in the band singing and writing songs. That song in the the intro there that that's by you, right? Heavier Summer. Yeah, that's actually a that's actually a holdover from the Gonculator era. So many iterations of that song exist. Um, on another, on a previous release that we have, that one uh, has like more of a more of a softer production, not as muscular. Um, what happened in that time, though, is that we added uh, Hank Miller, who is our keyboardist, uh, to the fold in between the time that a lot of these songs held carried over from one group to the next, and uh, the combination of just adding members and having now six people in the band is is just like man it can produce such a big sound and I'm glad that recording sort of captured that, uh, best we could, you know? So 
yeah, that's a, that's a holdover from the calculator era. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And so now we're in COVID times. It's running in long, longer than, oh, at, at first I didn't expect it to, to be as bad as it was. And then I was like, oh my God, this is way worse than I anticipated. And, and now I don't even know. I mean, we've been quarantined for what, five months now. Yeah. And, um, how has your life changed and, you know, not being able to hang out and perform with the guys like you were doing, uh, yeah. you know, what have you done musically instead or have you picked up any other hobbies or done uh, anything else to kind of pass the time and stay sane in a, a weird, weird world? Yes. That, that staying sane part, you know, there's, it's, it's kind of, it's funny what I noticed myself doing when I was home every day, you know, I was doing a lot of sleeping. I'm not a big sleeper. Like I really only do four or five hours a night. And, um, you know, I, I noticed that my mind started doing funny things. Like, you know, I was getting into areas of my mind that I, I don't normally access, you know, things, picking up interest in, in certain areas, like, you know, in, in literature and things like that and music, really branching off the things that made me that were sort of in my comfort zone. So in a way it was good, but I was, it was, it was awfully lonely too. So I live with my fiance and she had, she was going to work every day. I'm really thankful that I was able to be employed through it all. Hmm. And, uh, but I was home for nine weeks and went back in May. Uh, it's, it's just crazy, man. I mean, it's, it's totally unprecedented. Nobody knows what to do here. Um, we're all feeling through this dark fog together, you know, and one has to do what they have to do to persevere through that, you know, and for me, it was music always. It's always a crutch for me. Uh, little video gaming, a little <laughs> bit of reading. I got a dog here. Uh, we live in a house of four animals. So there's 20 legs in this house. That's a lot to manage. I felt like a house dad sort of. You know, and that was kind of an interesting area that I never really explored either. You know what I mean? So, um, I don't know. It, when I, it was kind of a blessing to go back to work, like, in the building, and that way I didn't have to be so alone in my head all the time. You know, and that's uh, that can be a dangerous place sometimes, you know, if you spend too much time there without exercising any of that theory in the in the meat space you know <laughs> yeah i mean a lot of people find exercise in music you're stuck in your head and then you go out and you perform and you ultimately get some of that energy out and you get some of that emotion out it, it can be tough when you're cooped up yeah um, i think i think just in general there's this ambient level of need for catharsis you know it's and really we have no outlet for that you know and uh I'm hoping within the next couple months, we're going to be able to start to slowly trickle back into shows or to small gatherings or, you know, even Jeff was trying to do the live stream thing from three heads and, you know, yeah, that got cool. kibosh. So, you know, we're, we're trying, you know, it's not, it's not through lack of trying. So we can really just hope for the best at this point. I'm with you. You know, I, I've been, running the show for a while, but I went on a hiatus. And then one of my hobbies, one of my pick me ups is I'm going to bring the show back. You know, yeah. it's hard to connect to people. We can connect online, we can stream online. And I don't have the answer yet. I, I don't want the show to have a, you know, a melancholy 
you know, a melancholy sound to it. But right now, I feel like it's hard for everybody. My God, is it hard for musicians, you know, freelance musicians, full-time artists. It's crazy out there. So uh, my inside source from earlier said you're actually a librarian. I am. Yeah. Cool. Crazy. So, so how did that work? I mean, didn't libraries close? Yeah. So our particular library, we were one of the first in the county to open and we didn't really advertise it. Um, We, we kind of kept it ho-hum, opened the doors, but we didn't, you know, like I said, there was no real, uh, there was really no promotion of that. Uh, That way it kind of gave the general public a, a feel for what it was going to be like in this institution going forward for the next, well, for the unseeable future, you know, for the unforeseen future. Um, but yeah, even while we were closed, I was super lucky, super lucky to, to be working still. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh, as we get back to normal with just opening doors to various places, you know, that's uh, I'm, I'm, it just kind of gives me cautious optimism that it could trickle into this industry as well. You know, uh, as, as, as the ambient level of, of anxiety goes down, I'm hoping that we can, we can start this back up here. Have you found that you're listening to different music or reading different books than you were six months ago? Has any of that manifested? Ah, man, it really has. Like after college, I stopped trying to listen to new stuff, new bands and things of that nature. And since then I've really just gone backwards. I've really tried to dig into sixties and seventies stuff and not, not even consciously just that's what sounds appealing to me, you know, and a lot of that comes out in the songwriting of the Capitals music because we're all kind of fellow travelers in that regard. You know, uh, we don't, we don't draw a lot on trend. We don't draw a lot on like, you know, what's kind of hot right now. Uh, we'd rather listen to what was hot 40 years ago, (laughs) you know, so that kind of, that kind of, puts us in an interesting perspective when we get all together and, and try to work on an idea and stuff like that. But yeah, um, I grew the record collection exponentially. Uh, we're, man, I was able to just pick over things from like record archive and things of that nature, like in their, you know, on their wall and stuff where mm-hmm. things are way cheaper. And it's just like, Oh my God, oh, yeah. you know, just like I've totally rounded out my Bruce Springsteen collection. That's all done. Uh, and I just, I connect so heavily to like seven, you know, late sixties, early seventies and mid seventies music, even just pop music from that time. Like Emily, my fiance and I are huge Ronettes fans, you know, and uh, uh, yeah. that's spinning once a week, probably, you know? <laughs> so it's cool to get into like producer type groups too, like all the Phil Spector's for that, for that matter, or like, you know, Glenn Johns, you know, love digging into that stuff. Oh, we watched that Grateful Dad documentary and I'm a Grateful Dad fan. I've never... I never gave them the time of day and now I can't stop listening. You know what I mean? So that's the funniest thing in the world to me because it's just an ongoing process of surprising oneself. It's great stuff. And I like how you mentioned, you know, as the Capitals, you're, you don't really follow a, a trend that's going on. You're playing the music you guys like to play. Yeah. And I noticed that when I've seen you guys live, it, it's a style that I can't necessarily place kind of hard to box in um and obviously uh, i'm sure a lot of that comes from different members of the band having different influences from different generations how's that look where um 
I mean, how many members in the band write songs and, and bring that to the table? And how does it look when you've got so many personalities bringing different songwriting, guitar licks, everything to the table? I mean, what, what's it look like backstage? It's a fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's controlled chaos, man. We're we we love each other. Like that's the that's the big thing. Like, um, I feel really bad for Josh. Pettinger, our drummer, because he entered into a group. Uh, he's the newest member of our group, and he entered into a straight up shit show, dude. You know, it's a lot of personality flying around. It's a lot of shouting. It's a lot of like talking over each other. It's it's like Parliament in there. You know what I mean? And it's so much fun because none of us take anything personally. You know, it's all in good. Na- it's all in good humor, and we know by the end of the by the end, it's going to have a, a product that we're all at least happy with. So the, the three of us uh, that write songs are Nick, Hank, and myself. And uh, a cool thing happens because, um, like you said, it's, it's not really genre-fied. It's more or less just like what was holding over from a previous era or what came about, uh, whatever song idea came about as we were in our respective homes. We, we don't really write together. Hmm. That's more of a, a contribution from each member. Um, and then it just kind of, it's a sum of the parts sort of deal, you know, and uh, we all, somebody brings a song idea to, to rehearsal or whatever, and then just kind of go from there. And most of the time um, it doesn't follow the original concept of what the songwriter had to a T. You know what I mean? It's a, it, it kind of takes the stink of like a Capitals song at that point. And that's what's, invigorating and energizing to me at least because and it helps me get over my own bullshit too so like if if i'm bringing a song idea to the group and i'm like oh it's got you know it's got to sound this way and everyone's like no it doesn't hold up you know we're gonna let's let's jam it out and then you you can take whatever concept you had and and do what you need to do with it to get over it and uh that's a really good way of keeping everybody's ego in check and i really appreciate that (laughs) Yeah, it keeps it honest and it keeps the song raw to what the Capitals are and in, in all the parts. Any times, though, that you felt stomped on where you came in, you're like, this is perfect. <laughs> and everyone's like, no, it, no, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Oh, every song I write is perfect. <laughs> you know what I mean? To me, it's right. And obviously, I'm kidding. But, yeah. um, you know, if one feels strongly, particularly stronger about a certain idea, that they bring to the group, then, then yeah, we'll, we'll everybody is, is keen tuned in enough as musicians to be like, okay, I, I know how sensitive I need to be part or like, how do I accentuate whatever's going on here? Or whatever the original concept is. It's not to say that we abandon the concept categorically. We, we, we try our best to accommodate the concept, you know, but other times uh, it just, totally flies out the window. For instance, we have a song called Fuss that Nick wrote, and it's kind of this birdsy, jangly, really sort of, you know, I think the BPM's 131, you know, and uh, it's a straight up pop tune, right? We love that stuff. And it came in, sounded like a country tune. Mm. And it was like, what if we Roger McGuinn this thing up and, and, and kind of go from there? And that's like, oh, wow, this thing is, sounds nothing like the concept, but sometimes those are happy accidents, right? As Bob Ross would say. So, you know, I, I also, we also look forward to that 
And that's why, you know, when a concept comes in, that's all it is. It's just a concept, you know? So we, we keep our minds open to that too. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. It's a, a lot of personalities coming to the table, but you're doing a lot of writing and, and the guys are doing a lot of writing on their own. Um, speaking for yourself, what does your music making process look like? Are you on the technical side where you're writing out the notes are the lyrics coming first? Is the guitar coming first? Is the melody coming first? Uh, how's it where how's it look, you know, in your at home sessions? That that's something weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, that's it. I Typically I don't I'll start it this way. Words are the hardest part and typically are the last piece of the puzzle for for any one of my originals. Um, I don't know why I belabor that. I think just because I, I love words and I love the command of language so much that I, I may place a higher emphasis on that. And I think my ego gets in the way of it. Um, but what's great is that once I'm able to finally turn that off, uh, words just kind of happen, you know, and I, and they can take on meaning after the fact, after they're written. You know, I don't, I, I, that's something I need to work on as an individual is, is learning how to get out of my way in that regard. Uh, but, but the process itself is pretty simple. You know, if I have the time, uh, and I'm, and I'm, I don't necessarily need to feel inspired. So just holding a guitar is enough for me, you know, sitting down at a piano is enough for me, just singing a, a tune in my head, you know, that's, uh, that can be generative, you know? And, but nine times out of 10, it isn't, you know? So it, what's fun is you play guitar for an hour. You just sit down to try to learn a solo or something like that. And then boom, something happens there. And all of a sudden you're not doing what you set out to do for that particular sit down. Um, at least for me, at least, sorry, I, I say you a lot. I, I should really speak in first person, but. Uh, Don't worry yeah, about it's, it. It's a, it's a, it's funny because after a song kind of a song idea gets written down or, or conceptualized, it, I have a hard time even remembering how it happened. It's like my brain goes to some unexplored area where I'm not thinking about it. You know, there's, there's no real thought process. It's like, Oh, that sounds cool. Let's pull on this thread and see what unraveled. And that's largely how every song I write is written. But, you know, I, we, we, did this thing during the quarantine where we tried to write one minute songs uh, and just as a songwriting experiment and put them on Instagram. And some of those things are really cool. And some of that I would never have written for a band or it's just, here's what's coming out today. And I, I draw a lot of inspiration from uh, Jeff Tweedy from Wilco and his book, let's go so we can get back. He talks a little bit about his songwriting process and that re his paraphrase summarized, um, it's doing it just for the sake of doing it, not to have anything on the other side. It's just the, the process and the experience alone is the thing that I think or what, what he says is, is the most uh, inspiring thing of, of it all. It keeps him doing it. And after I read that, that was, uh, I, could really, I could really pull on that. And it let me feel better about taking my time with certain aspects of songwriting that I felt previously had to be done a certain way or to a format. Uh, he's pretty, his philosophy is just such that you should just do, just do it. 
mm-hmm. doesn't matter, you know? And so that's kind of, that's kind of the, uh, the MO now is just, just do it. Don't worry about it. Don't get in your head about it. Do it like no one's ever going to hear it ever, you know, write a song like no one is ever going to know. And that's nine out of the 10 songs I write, you know, don't even, don't even make it anywhere. So, you know, that's kind of, uh, that's where we're at with that one. There, there's a bunch of things you said there that I love and, and, you know, obviously just do it, jump in and, you know, the process being powerful. I like the, the phrase process before product. Mm-hmm. The, you'll get to the product if you have the process. And, you, and what you're saying earlier kind of embodied falling into that flow state where um, it just comes to you. It doesn't always, it's not always just going to come to you anytime you walk in the door and pick up the guitar. But if you're treating it as a process and you're practicing, you hit that flow state and it, it sounds like the songs just spit out on their own, which is kind of cool. You're right, man, because musicians, they just, they know, they, you know, they don't have to know what they're doing. You know, they just have to, they have to have, you know, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of faith, but they almost have to have a trust in the process. You know, they have to trust that process that even if it fails, it might not next time because it's worked so often when you just stay true to it. And uh, obviously this is a very personal sort of philosophy that I have. Some people, I, I've been in bands with, with writers who can, who can write to a format who can have a, a very narrative story like song. I can't write. I, I just can't do that. I've tried, you know, um, everybody's got their thing, you know, and I think exploring those things is what's very interesting about songwriters too. Yeah. It's always, it's always exciting to, to make that exploration because everyone is different, but you know, you stay true to your process. You stay true to, to your voice people are going to resonate with that, you know? Yeah. I, I want to break it up and listen to another tune. Um, what's this track? Little Miracle. Little Miracles. Let's, yeah, um, actually, you know what? Uh, let's give a little should, background. Yeah, so Little Miracles is a Nick song, and you'd have to ask him about uh, any sort of deeper meaning behind it because I think what's interesting is even with three songwriters, we, we're all sort of guessing – as band members, what each song is about too, which makes them exciting to play every time, you know, Mm. um, you'd have to ask him, but, uh, this song is again, inspired, you know, early seventies AM pop. So let's try it out. (laughs) Let's try it out. This is little miracles by the capitals. Thank you. 
Rochester Groovecast podcast. Head over to Facebook, like Rochester Groovecast, and mark our page as C first to keep in touch with everything new. Now back to the show. Yeah, man. Yeah, I love that song. I do too. I like the energy in it. Yeah. You know, you guys play so darn loud live that I kind of <laughs> like hearing the. <laughs> Dude, I know it's bad. Dude, yeah, so- it's so it's super loud. It's it's something that comes up in practice too. You know, we gotta. I have a thirty watt amp, and that thing only sounds good when you turn it up. Right. You know what I mean? Other than that, it sounds farty and fizzy. And uh, I gotta I gotta pare it down. And it's eighty pounds. <laughs> eighty pound amp. It's like Jesus. I'm 34. Like, I can't be doing that anymore. Yeah. I mean, some of the venues in Rochester hold about 50 people. So, (laughs) yeah. It'd be cool if we were doing like My Bloody Valentine or something like that. But yeah, it's just too big. Like, I, okay. So, over on July 3rd, I got it. Like, I injured both my knees. Like, I had a a pretty significant injury to both my knees. And it's like, that is just a taste of mortality. Yeah. You know? Oh, man, this thing, this, this meat and cheese breaks down and it's never, I, it's never going to happen to me. It's never going to, it does. Okay. And that amp is probably why I had a hernia and had that operated. So look at that. Around lot, <laughs> <laughs> I, wa- yeah. I wanted to mention before we digress too much. Sometimes I like to pop on the phone when we do those interlude songs and there's like 40 million people on Facebook watching this right now. I yeah, like, I know, right? My mind yeah. was blown. My mind was blown. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's this is gonna be the greatest podcast ever recorded in in, in the history of the internet. You know, there's only like three to five people that live in a small village in Somalia that don't listen to this podcast. And they are tonight. And I'd like to thank them. <laughs> you you for think going making you the think I got them? You think I got them? Dude, you got it. I've been trying to get those those three <laughs> to five Somalians to listen forever, man. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a thing of beauty. We're, <laughs> we're really making we're we're making big strides here. Uh, now, speaking of, you know, long lost places, and I have nothing against Somalia. It's just uh the, the place I use in the joke. Sure. Speaking of long lost places, is there any uh, anywhere that you haven't played that would be like a, a dream venue or a dream city to go to? 
Anywhere would be good right now. <laughs> <laughs> Down the road. Uh, yeah, I would I would play for my dog if he'd let me. I mean, and I and he's mostly generous enough to sit through that most of the time, but you know, there are drawing so much inspiration from like the heyday of rock and roll. Uh, you know, just like to think about the band's residency at the Winterland, you know, or like, oh, like a four night stay in Chicago if you're Wilco or something like that. You know, it's just that or I, the idea of a residency, like a two or three or four night Capitals only uh, show or event would be so cool and something I often fantasize about. Um, because we have that much back catalog where we can actually wow. do it. You know what I mean? We got 12 years worth of tunes here. Originals? And, uh, all originals. Yeah. Wow. We try to stay as original as possible. So, um, yeah, I mean, shit. I, I freaking three heads would be great right now though. That's yeah. my favorite place to play. So, um, Anything like that would be awesome. <laughs> That's great, man. That, that was that was even maybe going to be my follow up question. I'm curious as to uh, the venues that you have played, be yeah. it local or yeah. traveling, you know, on the road. Mm-hmm. Any any favorite spots? And Three Heads seems to be across the board a fan favorite more than just the stage, but the way they treat the bands and the culture and the beer and everything about it. The Jeff Dale. Um, Jeff Dale and three heads comes up almost every conversation I have, man. As they should, Mm. uh, it's clear and demonstrable when a venue puts the bands first and, um, there are a lot of great venues in Rochester and that's not to disparage them or anything like that. We're all lucky to have them, but there is such a vibe and such a carved out space for any type of musician or group that wants to play it's a place that's like a brewery right and then but it's also a place for music for music's sake and uh would love playing there you know we're a little we've we're a little too numerous for the bug jar stage at these days, but we make it work. And I love playing there also, but we're so fucking loud that I leave that place feeling dizzy. And like, I need to, <laughs> I need the day after to recuperate. Uh, Josh is not a quiet drummer, by the way. Um, that makes a difference at a venue a, like that. Yeah, it does. Especially I'm on his hi hats. eye mostly. So <laughs> okay. that thing's going right up my ass the whole night. Um, <laughs> The Love and Cup is is fantastic. Matt, who does sound for us over there, has is, is been lovely. Uh, and Leslie has always been very welcoming to us. Uh, Photo City was cool. I played there with Omanito. Uh, that was a great time. I love them all. Even we, we've we done basement shows where we've reached that same level of energy and intimacy, too. You know, and uh, I don't know. Maybe, I, it, maybe it's my nostalgic mind going back to a time when music wasn't illegal. And playing anywhere was just you're happy to play and all that. That's the thing is all the bands that I've been in and I've been playing in bands for about 17 years now. It's I'm lucky enough to be in groups that love to play. 
you know, that love to mm-hmm. love to be in front of people and feed off that energy and uh, are affected by when there's a very low energy, you know, and it's, uh, you know, that's, that's part of never growing up to me is, is being that kid with ADHD that needs all that energy around him to just, just, just rein it in. You know, that's, I'm never going to outgrow that. I'm just not gonna. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go deaf before I let that affect. I love it, man. Is there any uh, musicians you've seen live that bring that energy wherein when ultimately you're in the audience and you're like, yes, 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 yes. They're feeding oh, man. Exactly we could have do. a whole separate pod on, on <laughs> show experiences, but the standout ones are, are the flaming lips. If you've never seen the flaming lips, Oh my God, do yourself a favor and, and go to that. Uh, go back in possible. time. Go back in time, man, you know, get on whatever existential plane you need to get to and get there because you will thank yourself later. My Morning Jacket's an excellent live show. Probably the best live show in terms of just musicianship and energy. Um, But, you know, I I love seeing punk shows too. And some of that just raw, unharnessed energy is, is something that is, it, 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 it takes more than language to describe it. You know, it it takes, it's, it's something that language does a disservice to. So I won't try, you know, you have to kind of experience it for yourself. And, um, the, the loudest show I ever went to was Mogwai at the trail from Buffalo, maybe 10 years back. I can imagine. Yeah. That was unbelievably loud and very good. (laughs) Yeah. It's good stuff. I mean, yeah. we can we can talk about live shows and high energy forever, right? Oh, for sure. Um, let's uh, let's talk about. So, you've mentioned so many great bands, and every one of them is amazing in their own right. Is there any musicians or bands or songwriters that, let's say, you were to take a vulnerable spot in your mm-hmm. writing and your playing, and if you could kind of harness the abilities? of any couple musicians to, to really boost and strengthen a place that might be vulnerable in your songwriting or even just completely strengthen something that you do well. Mm-hmm. Does anybody come in, come to mind of something, uh, someone I should ultimately write down right now and go Man, check that's, out? That's such a great question because I think the songwriting process is, is an ongoing exercise in addressing your own vulnerabilities. Uh, at least for me, again, I, I, the disclaimer is that I'm only speaking for myself, you know, um, but the sort of father figure songwriters to me uh, or parental figures, ones that have sort of prepared the uh, prepared me for the road, so to speak. Um, Jeff Tweedy, obviously. Um, Emmett Rhodes. I. Uh, relatively unknown dude from the seventies that just wrote these really succinct pop numbers, Harry Nilsson. Uh, I've been really digging Harry Nilsson lately. And, and, you know, we could, we could go all night on this one too. Neil Young, I, I think mm. is, means more to me than, than anybody else. Uh, Brittany Howard from, from the Alabama shakes. She's got something that again, language just can't do justice to. Uh, you know, it, it, I've been obsessed with this song lately, the Champs-Élysées song. You know that song? I don't. 
Okay. It's a, it's a silly French pop tune about this road in Paris, France, you know, but um, the ability for somebody to just rein in their ego so much where they can just write a tiny Tim esque song. Uh, that that's, that's so inspiring to me. And I just get hooked. I get hooked to the second barb on that, you know? And uh, like I said, I mean, I could sit here and pontificate every songwriter that I get inspiration from. Cause there's, there's a million of them, you know, I'm so you and I are so lucky to be in a world where we have the, 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 the pantheon of, of songwriting behind us. And, and really it's, it's, it's what, whatever we want to do with it, you know? And um, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Oh, I don't, I don't draw inspiration. No, I, everything I do is, is hero emulation. You know what I mean? I'll be out front and say that shit right now. I mean, it just is. If, if, if I die and I go to some place and all my favorite musicians are there, I would just want to know that I, 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 I did all right. If I, if I ripped them off. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what, <laughs> you know, uh, what you're saying reminds me of, and, and Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, mm-hmm. you know, a reporter, Kobe Bryant's a straight shooter and a reporter was asking very black and white questions that, someone who works that hard at his craft doesn't want to hear. For example, are you the greatest of all time? Or is it LeBron James or Michael Jordan? And he's just like, that's a dumb question. (laughs) And then the reporter circles back to it, you know, who's the greatest of all time then? And basically what he said is like, listen, I wouldn't be what I was if it wasn't for Michael Jordan, LeBron James wouldn't be who he was if it wasn't for me and Michael Jordan. And you know, and Michael Jordan wouldn't be who he was without magic Johnson. And we can talk about this all day. So don't ask dumb questions of who is the greatest of all time. (laughs) You know, the, the bar is always lifted and the times are always changing. Like it's, it's almost better to grow from the past and the, the people in front of you and emulate them rather than think you're the best in the world and just think you're the best because you copied something they had already exactly. done. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're referring to the documentary from uh, on Netflix about the nineties bulls and Michael Jordan. That was a really super touching moment when they asked Kobe, you know, who's the man? He's like, Michael's the man. <laughs> and it's like, no shit, dude. Mike's the man. You know, and that's such a big moment for Kobe, too, to realize that he is one piece of this puzzle that not only gives entertainment to millions of people. He's very, very good at it and he excels at it and he's one of the best, but there's always someone before you, you know, and to your point, it's it's very much a it's a it's a legacy thing. Everything is, you know, I think in in terms of. Especially in terms of entertainment, you know, because that's really all we're doing. We're just trying to entertain people, if not ourselves, you know, and uh, that's a really good tie in you just made. Talking about legacy, any legacies we don't know about, anything absurd or weird that you do on the side that has nothing to do with music that people might think is interesting? Oh, dude, I wish. <laughs> Whole another podcast for that one too. We could we could have <laughs> we could have a podcast on the complete mundane life that I have outside of music. You know what I mean? I'm just I'm totally civilian. 
I'm a, I'm a nine to fiver, you know, and I love my job. I love being a librarian. Um, you know, that's one of the intersections of a musician's life is, you know, uh, the, whatever they do in the day and whatever they do at night, you know, we live, we live this duality, this, this dichotomous lifestyle, uh, you know, this two level person or, or multifaceted person, you know, so the intersections of that are very strange and very interesting too. Um, and I love hearing everybody's experiences, but in terms of legacy, buddy, I don't have a legacy for you. I, I'm just a guy <laughs> that goes to work and plays music at the end of the day, you know, and uh, if there's any legacy, it's, it's, I hope that, uh, whenever I was around, you had a good time. That's all I hope for. Yeah. I mean, music makes you have a good time. It's a yep. crazy dichotomy between music being, and I'll couple with sports cause sports is amazing too. Music and sports being things that bring so much joy and happiness and peace to so many people and the world ultimately determining that they are non-essential and i understand safety but something about non-essential kind of gets to me that a place like three heads can't have 40 people in a place that could seat over a hundred and spread them out and do a live stream what how is music non-essential it seems like the most essential thing out there for me you know like I, i'll go back to my point earlier it, not that it has any profundity, but you know, this is all very new territory. I think true largely it's a, if not a failure of our institutions, it's, it's definitely a, uh, a misapplication of, of what they think safety is. There's a certain level of reward to knowing the risk and, and being smart about it. Right. Uh, outside of that though, I, I know I try not to get too hung up on, on buzzwords, you know, non-essential, essential. We could we could create we could create dichotomies like that all the time. You know, I, I you know, to what is what percent is it non non-essential? Thirty percent, forty percent? How essential is essential? You know, and that's that's kind of the second they st everybody started talking about that, it was like, man, this is just going to divide people more and more. Hey, are you essential? No, are you? Yeah, well, fuck you. Oh, <laughs> that's that's helping. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> that's that's making adults act like adults, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, in terms of your question, though, I mean, we could have a whole nother pod on how, you know, musicians can be seen as a, as a second class sort of second class sort of industry. You know, you and you and I both know of plenty of places that the band comes up and you get stiffed at the door. You know what I mean? And right. the, the venue made, thousands of dollars that night at the bar, but somehow there's only 40 bucks left for the band after a $10 cover. How does that work? You know, uh, and these are all part of this, that that's all part of the lifestyle. There's a certain level of acceptance that a band takes on knowing that that's going to happen. And it's, you set yourself up for a lifetime of disappointment, but in spite of all that, right. Still do it. You know what I mean? I don't know if it's, it's definitely absurd, Mm -hmm. It might be a little insane too, but uh, nevertheless, we, we persist through it. Do you ever you know? just want to burn the guitar and walk out the door and never walk back in? Oh, I do that every day. So <laughs> yeah, I, you should see it over here. It's, <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah. It, 
you know, it's one of the only things in my life where I've wanted to burn it all down, but could never do it because music ruined it. You know what I mean? I hated music so much that music brought me back to it. You know, and if that isn't an abusive relationship, I don't know what is. You know, and uh, it's it's good though. It is good. Let's let's listen to the la- that last track. Make you feel better because I, I mm-hmm. feel like everybody needs a pick me up. Where we're, we're this song is sad. I'm just letting you know <laughs> it's not a happy song, but it's hopeful, and that's mm. what we could all use a little bit more of these days, wouldn't you say, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. A more hope. Any any uh, background on this song? We should know. This is a Hank song. Uh, Hank has a very low baritone voice. And I like his voice very much. And he writes songs for his voice. And um, I think you'll enjoy this one because it's, uh, it's one of our slowest tunes and one that you can really sink into if you let it happen. Awesome. Here's Make You Feel Better by The Capitals. summer when I knew you You told me how the ocean loves the shore Each wave a warm caress A kiss of absolution But every app removes a few grains more Like a cup of wine that quenches the aftertaste is bitter Like the vine you cultivate That grows sour grapes Like the flame that licks the rafters Whispering happy ever after Like the lover's heart That takes and takes and takes Yeah. 
Love it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that song. Gives me the the goosebumps, they say. Yeah, the chicken skin. The chicken skin. <laughs> yeah, man. That's a Hank tune. That's uh that's and I, I feel bad. I was thinking about it while we were listening to it. I totally set that I poisoned the well on that tune. I made it sound like it was the saddest song in the world. It's slow and it's sad, but it's really there's some the whole thing is actually quite redeeming. So, sorry, Hank. No, it's a great. It, it kind of reminds me of, you know, those old folky kind of piano tunes. Yeah. Go, Paul McCartney. That's um, our Tin Pan Alley song. Tin Pan Alley song. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. I actually don't know what that means. Oh, Tin Pan Alley? Oh, is, is that a band? It's, a, it's, a, it's an era of music. Uh, Tin Pan Alley was like the singer-songwriter centric in like the early 1900s that like Bob Dylan grew, drew a lot of inspiration from, you very know, the cool. storytelling, very narrative type, uh, type era that, that defined that era. And, uh, some, you know, it's not all good, but some of it's very good. Hey, uh, I learned something from the library today, man. Hey, you that's what I'm, I'm here to give you all the shit you'll never remember. <laughs> I love it. No, I'll re- I actually I'll remember that too though. That that's a yeah. thing. That's yeah. cool, man. Um so we've got a lot to remember. We've got a lot to talk about in the future. We could probably yes. put out two, three more podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um looking towards the future, what are you excited for? Um anything going on with the Capitals? Anything going on in your life that you want to shout out? Well, uh I'm getting married next year. Wow. I'm pretty happy about that. I can't believe that's happening. I can't believe my fiance said yes. Yeah. uh, Because, well, I won't get into that. But uh, the Capitals are going to be back in the studio pretty soon, uh, shoring up some of the plans that we had prior to the lockdown. And, um, yeah, you know, just setting the sights on getting some more content out, trying to be better at the website game. You know, social – being – Doing the social media with a band is very, very hard. It's very challenging, and I think it's an unenviable task for anybody. But um, nevertheless, it has to be done. Um, so I hope to get better at that and uh, just try to stay employed so I can use that money to buy band shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, I I'll, might as well ask you this because you know, being in a band is not cheap. You know, you were talking about it before when, you know, the bar makes several grand and then the band gets stiffed. 
One thing that's not understood is the time and money that goes into leading to where you are on that stage. It's not like you just walk in, clock in, rent an amp or yeah. or use a house amp and just start playing. Um, but not to get on the, the mundane, I'm curious, um, in all your purchases, do you have any pedals or instruments or anything that was like super worthwhile investment? That's podcast number four, man. Um, <laughs> one thing that we love about stu- what, what's so great about the Capitals is that we're very open to new gear. And we could talk for hours about everybody's rig and, and my rig. And we just love sounds. You know, we, we we'll take a folk song and gussy it up with all sorts of effects and stuff like that, you know, while trying to keep the core of the song a song. Um, yes. Well, hold on a minute. Um, I just got this guy not too long ago off of Craigslist. It's a Silvertone, hmm. and it's like a three-quarter size parlor guitar. And I put some foam back here to make it sound really dead. Um, I just really love that sound. And it's a really great songwriting tool because most of the time I, when I write a song, I, I kind of... Hum a little bit. Yeah, you know? And that, I can hear my voice better because the guitar isn't so loud. Um, so that's been a huge songwriting tool for me, but yeah, love guitars, love pedals, love, love bass guitars, love pianos. You know, I love it all, you know, and, um, it's all special to me. And another thing that my band members hate about me is, is I don't sell anything. I never offload any gear. And I think my fiance hates that too, because we have a whole room in our apartment that's dedicated to just my shit. And uh, hopefully someday there will be a, like a basement for that. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're going to need, you're going to need a pet room or a baby room or something yeah, like that. I eventually. <laughs> Crazy dude. Like life happens. And uh, yeah. And I, th- I guess that's kind of one of the things that buying, you know, or purchasing guitar gear as just holding off adulthood for one more day. You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> yeah, so I got this little guitar and I, I love that. And, you know, it's, we could go on for days about that stuff. I, I truly love every piece that I have. And I hate most of it too, because that's just the relationship I have with things. What about this? What if, um, for whatever reason, I told you you had to get rid of everything, yeah. but three pieces of gear, guitar, yeah. This is a this is a thought experiment. All but three. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a frequent uh, sort of exercise that I do with myself and to uh, sort of uh, alleviate my attachment issues. So. Um, it, the logical answer would be anything that would make sound. So I guess all pedals are gone. Um, so I wouldn't, that, that eliminates a lot of the, to, the to make it easy, to make it easier. Um, you're allowed to purchase a cord so you don't have to get rid of cords. Cause you could just say guitar okay. cord amp, gotcha. you know, guitar cord amp. Yeah. I mean, the cords kind of a wasted decision. Can you see my anxiety? Um, uh, I think, um, all right. So peripherals aside, I, I would keep my Gibson J 45. It's an acoustic guitar. 
my Fender Jazzmaster. I would keep that. And my Vox AC4. Everything else is non-essential. So. Again, with the buzzwords, though. Glad you got that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, those would be the three. It's a tough question, and it, it gives me a lot of anxiety, but it's okay. Yeah. It's about getting braver, you know. Sometimes I like to ask questions that I don't have an answer to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all we can do is the best, but I want the people at home and I want you and myself to ultimately think about it. You know, it's just those mind benders that are sometimes a little fun. It's definitely a thought experiment to dive into. It's good to, it's good to question your firmly held values and beliefs from time to time. And uh, with so much power that I give my instruments and the power they have over me, you know, it's, it's kind of scary to think about a world where that was taken from you or you no longer had access to that, mm-hmm. that type of expression anymore. So um, while it's kind of, the, you know, the atomic or nuclear scenario, um, I take good care of my stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. My precious. Mm-hmm. That's right. It is. <laughs> one one last thought experiment, mind bender. And I'm not putting you on the spot. I put everybody on the spot with this question. I, I like to get feedback on it. If you were to have a billboard on the side of the road and you were you had the ability to control that billboard, meaning yeah. I mean, you could put your band logo on it. You could put a meme. You could put a a video. You could put something you've wrote, something you've heard. Uh, But ultimately, you've got a billboard that millions, if not billions of people are going to see. And I like to keep in mind that all races, all religions, all genders, all people, uh, the running joke now is that even the aliens can see it. Oh, cool. So so we've got – I forgot when that came up. But that opened a whole new box of chocolates because it's like, not only what will I say to my people, what would I say to humanity beyond myself, like entirely? Um, And sometimes I like to draw the question out. And the reason I draw it out is I like to give people time to think a little bit about it. But sometimes I feel like the more I draw it out, the more it's like, whoa, there's so many things that could be said and there's no right or wrong answers. So. After yeah, that so, whole shabam. Yeah, 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 man. Uh, a, a great question. Um, and ever since you sent me the show outline on the Google Doc, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's one that I've, that I've thought about. And um, now that I have the opportunity to say it, you know, I would, I would urge everybody to find the common humanity amongst ourselves best we can. And I would leave it at that. I love it. Cool, man. So Capitals, capital, the Capital Sound on Facebook mm-hmm. uh, is your, your at the Capital Sound. Uh, do you guys have a website, Instagram? How else do people follow you? Yeah, so we have the Instagram. We're capital, the Capital Sound. Uh, if you search on Instagram, um, the Capital Sound on Facebook, thecapitalsound.com is our newly minted website. Um, and what else do we have here? We have Bandcamp, uh, 
Bandcamp doc, or I'm sorry, that one, they see Bandcamp reverses that one. The capital sound dot bandcamp.com. And we also have, uh, we're on Spotify. So, uh, uh, you can, if your if your internet searching skills are up to snuff, you can search for the Capitals on Spotify and sift through the millions of bands that are also called the Capitals and find us with our with our mean looking picture. That's the one we have out there now. How about uh, this? Let a uh, name drop an album. If I were to go on Spotify and punch in an album, what should I punch great. in? Our most recent one is called Coyote. C O Y O T E, and uh, that's our most recent release. Um, and we have a few others up there also. Um, so that, that's one way you can sort of filter that down. Um, but yeah, yeah, we're, we're out there. We're, uh, and we try to keep up on the Instagram cause that's my favorite platform for communicating stuff to our fans. And, uh, uh Facebook's pretty cool, but Instagram tends to have more engagement. So, um, that's more fun. I think. I love it. Mm-hmm. Sean, man, we got four more podcasts to reschedule. Yeah, let's get them in. Let's get them in. But um, <laughs> I do appreciate you coming on today. Hey, I really appreciate you, Ben. I, I really appreciate the the Groovecast and uh, what what you're doing for musicians who are feeling a little pent up right now. There, there's one more thing I'd like to say. There was a great Please. tragedy this weekend in Rochester. Um, we lost one of our own. Uh, Nick Raider passed uh, over the weekend, and... I would just like to express my, my condolences to all of the people in family that loved him. And, uh, it's a hell of a loss and I'm going to miss that dude immensely. He was one of my oldest friends and, uh, today was a tough day because it was his memorial service. And, um, but it was, it was good and it was a very good send off. And my heart goes out to everybody that knew him, played music with him, did art with him and loved him because we all did. You know, and I appreciate you coming on and doing this tonight in such hard times. Um, rest in peace. I appreciate you you mentioning that today. Of course. Chester Groovecast podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and remember the fee. Share this with a friend and tell them exactly why they should listen. And don't forget to keep it groovy, baby.